We're in the book of Philippians together, and it's written about how to enjoy life. Isn't it amazing that there's a whole book in the Bible, and the theme is about how to enjoy life? So God wants you to enjoy life. Sometimes we don't realize that. We endure life. We don't know that it's supposed to be enjoyed. And today, as we're going through there, the theme that he hits is giving. You think like, does giving and joy go together? Well, it does. Giving and joy goes together. Because if you're giving for the right reasons, it brings joy in your heart. When you see somebody that's in need and you're generous with them, like say it's a family member and they're really having a real issue. It's not because they're being foolish, but they just had a real issue and you're able to give to them and help them out. And it brings you great joy to help that family member or that friend. Or I sponsor a child for $38 a month through Compassion International. That's like my Christmas gift to God. Because, you know, I give to the church on a regular basis anyway. But for Christmas, it's got to be something special. So I've always made it a part of my life to my Christmas gift to God is I'm always going to sponsor a child. And I like that one because it's 12 months a year. It's not something that happens on Christmas that I forget about it. Every month I'm reminded. And I write letters back and forth. It's, it's, you know, it's only $38 a month, but it gives me a lot of joy. I write the letter. They write me back. I hear what's going on in his life, and it blesses me. You know how they say it's better to give than to receive? I know it's true because I remember when I was a kid getting Christmas presents, and I loved it. I loved it. But you know what's really fun is being the parent that bought the presents, being the Santa Claus that bought the presents, um, but being the parents that bought the presents and then seeing your kids open them up and seeing how excited they are. It is so much more fun being on the giving side of it than on the receiving side of it. And when I was a kid, it was fun to get presents. But it does not compare to being the daddy and watching your kids open up the presents, seeing how much fun they're having. So when you're generous in the right way, it makes you happy. It makes you joyous. If you're giving and it doesn't bring great joy to your life, you're either giving to the wrong things or you have a very hard, cold heart. Because if you're giving to the right type of things, it makes you happy. You get excited about those things. And I'm not just talking about giving money. Let's say that you're in a situation where oh, we, we, absolutely, we don't have any money to give. To give a, a Christmas present to God if I don't have any money, I can still give time. Can you imagine the joy it can bring in your life when you volunteer at the Long Beach Mission? That's a place that we go once a month, or once every three months usually. And you go over there, and you offer your time. Like, I want to give a Christmas present to God because it's really Jesus' birthday. But I don't have money. We're just struggling. I can give time. So I can go to the Long Beach Mission and volunteer there for a day or two and in the evenings and feed the homeless, and they always need help. And it's a great thing, and you feel like, wow, I really gave God a gift. Do you remember the, that little cartoon movie, The Drummer Boy? I saw the movie, and there's a song, of course. And he didn't have any present to give God, so I'll give my music to you. So, so what he did is he played the drums for baby Jesus. That's, I have nothing else I can at least play a, a, a song for him. 
He was given whatever he had. It was only a, a, a drumbeat, but that's all he had to give. But he gave what he had. And I think this is so important because during the Christmas season, there's so much commercialism out there that it's easy to miss what it's really about. It's easy for me to think Christmas is about presents for everybody other than whose birthday it is. We're celebrating his birthday. I really encourage you to do that, to make a commitment to somehow, some way, give a Christmas gift to Jesus. Like I said, you can sponsor a child. You can, maybe there's a ministry out there. Make sure it's to Jesus because it's his birthday. Something that, that God would say, wow, thank you. That was a good thing. It could be a, a person that you know in your neighborhood that's really got struggling and, and is in desperate need for help. It doesn't matter how you give it. But what I'm trying to say is make Christmas this year what it really is. It's more than us getting together and opening up presents and, you know, eating good food. It's way more than that. It's we're celebrating Jesus was born. Give a, a Christmas present to, to him somehow, some way, a way that you know you feel like if you're giving it, it's something that God would be pleased with. So this message on giving, it's a Christmas message. Because what is Christmas all about? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Christmas is about God giving. And then what is it about? The wise men, they follow the star to get to Jesus. What? To give him presents. That's what they did. They went all the way there to give him presents. And then what, is, what do we do? We buy presents for our kids and, and for our family and friends. It's all about giving. Christmas is all about giving. Giving. But I don't think it's a real Christmas story if it's just something I do on Christmas. I think the real theme behind it is have a generous heart all the time. Always be a person that's generous. And that it's a joyous thing to be generous. It's a, it's a good thing to be generous. In Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a, a great verse that gives us confidence, like, God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of me. But the verse before that talks about he's praising the Philippians for them supporting his ministry. It goes together. He's not saying that this is automatic. He's not saying to you and I that it's automatic that God's going to meet all of our needs. See, we think that. We think, I believe in God. He's going to take care of me. It doesn't say that. Every time you see a, a promise in the Bible, there's always a premise, a condition. It's always like, if you do this, then I'll do that. So we think like, whoa, there's a promise here. But it sounds like people memorize this verse. A lot of Christians like this verse, and they like to say, like, God's going to take care of me. He's going to bless me according to his glorious riches. But when you actually read the whole chapter, he's saying, because you're generous, God's going to bless you. That's important to know. Because if I'm not generous, there's no promise there. It doesn't say, because you believe in me, I'm going to bless you financially or whatever. He doesn't say that. You can believe in him as much as you want to. It specifically talks about generosity. So the premise is be generous to others. Look at Proverbs. Here's how Solomon said it. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Notice the premise there. It doesn't just say, 
because you believe in God, you're going to prosper. It specifically says because you're generous. There's a lot of people that believe in God. This isn't a promise to them. It's not a promise because you believe in God. It's a promise to people that are being generous. Could somebody that doesn't even believe there is a God, but he's generous, be blessed? A generous man. It doesn't even talk about faith here. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So I could be here and I could be a man that believes in God and loves Jesus. And there could be an atheist. And that atheist is generous and God's going to bless him. And I'm not generous and God doesn't bless my life. Because there's, there's no attachment to these verses about faith. It's like God, God will bless anybody. Anybody that deserves to be blessed, he's going to bless them. Look at Luke 6, 38. This is uh, Jesus speaking on this one. Proverbs of Solomon, who is considered the wisest man to ever live. This is Jesus. <clears throat> give to others, and God will give to you. It doesn't say, God's going to give to you. He says, give to others, and God will give to you. The measure you use for others is the one God will use for you. So it's saying, if you want God to be generous with you, you've got to be generous with others. God is not obligated to throw blessings at you because you believe he exists or because you've even put your faith in what he's done for you on the cross. He says, now put it into action. He wants you to live it out by being a generous person, not being stingy. So when you see a person in need, you have a family member, and they're really struggling. Like I said, <clears throat> sometimes people have to learn a lesson, Right? They're full, they do foolish actions, and sometimes people have to learn a lesson. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people hit hard times. And it's a family member, and you know they have a hard time, and you know that you're able to help them. You help them. A friend, whatever. I don't, I don't ever, this is just my belief. I know people have religious beliefs that say, I see a person on the street corner, and I give to them because my heart's right. And if they misuse the money, that's on them. I think there's a responsibility that God's given us with the money we have. Okay? That might be a good heart, but I don't think that's biblical. I think you are responsible. Like, for example, enabling, I think, is a sin. Like, if I'm supporting somebody's drug habit, I'm guilty. If I'm supporting somebody's alcoholism, I become a guilty party. I'm supporting it, but he's the one doing it, so I'm not guilty. No. Enable him. That's not right. I don't think there's anything biblically correct about that. But I do think this. I can give money to organizations I trust that are helping those people. The organizations that would take the people off the street and say, we can help you, but you, you can't drink. You can't you'd be using drugs. And we will get you in clothes, and we'll feed you, and we'll train you. This is why I, I love our work with the Long Beach Mission, because that's what they do. And we, uh, I would never tell names, but we've had people that have gone through their things and become members of our church. And, uh, but they were homeless on the street. They took them in. No drugs allowed. No alcohol allowed. Uh, got them cleaned up. Got nice clothes put on them. Feed them, putting them to work first in the mission train them spiritually, help them reach a point where they can get a job away 
and, and then get their own apartment, and now they're on their own. Okay, I'm for something like that because now I feel like I'm not being foolish with my money. So I believe in giving to help the poor and the homeless, but I want to give it to the places that's going to help the poor and homeless, and I don't want to use an excuse like my heart's right so it doesn't matter what they do. Because I, I, I think my God wants my brain to be right too. It's more than just the heart. You can do something for the right heart and it can, be, can, it can be sincere and it can be sincerely wrong. But if you do it with the right heart and the right mind, I think you're using your money in a good way. And now I can be joyous about giving because I know what it's doing. Because I actually know the people and I've seen their lives change. For example, through the Long Beach Mission or something. So... Being generous, I'm not saying it means to be foolish. Here's the values of generosity. My giving is an encouragement to others. When the, people, when the church in Philippi was giving to Paul and his ministry, because that's what's happening in chapter 4, he's praising them for their giving, uh, it was an, a great encouragement to him. Here's what it says. It was good of you, the people in Philippi, uh, it's the church there, it was good of you to share in my troubles. As you Philippians know, in the early days, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Philippi was not a wealthy church, okay? It was more on the poor side. But that area is kind of poor. But when he was there and he started the church there and got things going... Then he left from there and went to Thessalonica to start a church there. That's what Paul did. He'd get churches going. He'd raise up leaders. He'd stay there about a couple years, get them going. Then he'd go to the next key city. Once he got the key city in the area, then they could start churches from there. Then he'd go to the next key city in another area, do the same thing, get a church really established, and then they'd go from there. But the church in Philippi, even though they weren't rich, financed him to move to the next church which was Thessalonica. And because of them helping him, now Thessalonica had a church going, and then they could start churches around those areas in their, in their area, and then he'd move to the next place. So he's saying, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Here's the result. When they were helping him out, they became a part of that ministry. You see what I mean? They became a part of that ministry. See, when we go on mission trips... Throughout the world, a lot of people in our church here can't go because not everybody can get two or three weeks off, but they donate, hey, let me donate $500 to help you guys do the project, whatever we're doing, whatever. And uh, they automatically become a part of the ministry of what happens. And they never got on a plane and they never set foot in Brazil or wherever we go. They never went there. But they were part of the ministry because they helped finance the whole thing. So that's what they're doing with Paul, they never, they probably never set foot in Thessalonica. Not all of them, maybe one or two of them did, but I don't know. But, but they were in Thessalonica because they helped finance his ability to be there. So you become a partner in that ministry that you help, which tells me this. I don't want to partner with a ministry I don't know about because there again, I've, I want to use my mind and my heart. So I want to pick things. The reason why I do Compassion International is I thoroughly check them out. I love what they're doing around the world. I've been in other countries, and I've seen it on the other side. 
you know, because, you know, we do so many mission trips in Kenya and Brazil and the Philippines, and that's where a lot of these places go. And when you see it from the other side, you say, wow, this is a really good organization. You see what they're doing with kids. So I love sponsoring children that way because I know it's good. But they knew what, they knew what Paul was doing because they saw it. He's the one that started the church. So when he went over to another place, they were behind it. So I think you want to give money to things that you trust, that you know what's happening, uh, so you can be a cheerful giver. I can't really be happy about something if I don't really know what's going on. But I want to be able to give with joy. And the theme of the book is really about joy. So giving without joy doesn't seem to be the attitude that God wants. So what makes joy? Giving the things that you know are good. Giving makes us like Christ. When I'm being generous to somebody that's having a hard time, I'm becoming like Jesus because that's the type of thing Jesus would do. You have a friend that, you know, that loses their job. You know what I was so blessed by? Uh, we had a, a person in our church that lost their job, and she was struggling to with her and her kids to, what am I going to do? And she didn't have enough money to pay for her rent because she lost her job, and she didn't know what she was going to do. And I just sent a general letter by email, and we got so much money that people helped that we had a little left over. So I said, okay, with this leftover, we've got something to help the next person. But people just got one email, and they start giving. Let's help her out. Let's, they didn't even know who they were helping because I didn't want to embarrass her because she's a part of our church. But I thought if she wants to tell people, that's up to her, but I'm not going to tell people. And we paid for her rent, and uh, obviously the Helping Hands ministry knew who it was because everything goes through them. But I was so blessed. And I had a lot of joy because to me, that was a reflection to somebody in our group that we practice what we preach. We don't just talk good stuff. People really have a heart. And I had so much joy. She paid for rent and we helped her have a plan for what would happen in the future. So that way, if she didn't have a job in time, uh, she already had time to work out. If I can't get a job in time for the next month, I'm going to move in with this friend. But we had the plan all worked out. But we were able to help her, and uh, she's doing fine. That's what it means. That's, what that, that's why it's joyous to be generous. It makes us like Jesus, because that's what Jesus would do. He would want to help somebody. Second, my giving is an investment in the future. In Philippians 4.17, it says, Though I appreciate your gifts, what makes me happiest is the well-earned reward you will have because of your kindness. He said, I appreciate your gifts, but the happiest thing is I'm so excited about the reward you're going to get because you are rewarded in heaven. Now, I don't understand this because to me, just being able to go to heaven, wouldn't that be enough reward? We need more rewards than that, but I don't understand it, but God talks about in heaven, you get rewards. I'm thinking, heaven's good enough, God. Just being to heaven's good. He said, no, no, no. You go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for you. You did nothing to earn that. You'll never get rewards for heaven. It's a free gift. Jesus died on the cross for you. Your sins are forgiven because of what he did. It's a free gift. So, But in heaven, the good things you do on earth are remembered. Wow. 
That's good. Well, what's about one of the best things you can do? Be generous with your money and time. That shows love. How I spend my money shows what I love. Not what I say. Because people spend money on the things important to them. So if you look at my checkbook, you'll know what's important to me. If you look at my calendar, you'll know what's important to me. It's always. Your time and your money always proves what's important to you, not what you say. Because people say things that are important, but their life doesn't match it because it's not really what's important to them. So God wants my heart. God wants my heart. And he says, you're going to be rewarded for this. Giving benefits me for eternity. In Ephesians 4, 17, it says, I want to see, this is the good news version of the same verse. I want to see the profit added to your account. I want to see profit added to your account. Do you know, this was actually a banking term. This one translates it better, I think. The profit added to your account. It actually means like interest. Interest in heaven? Like I'm gaining interest in heaven? That sounds kind of weird, but that's what it actually means. Jesus once said, if you give a cup of cold water to someone out of generosity, God remembers that. So this little thing like, oh, they were thirsty, so I gave, oh, you, you look thirsty. Here, have some water. He said, even those little things of being generous mean something to God because it still is a reflection of your heart. God wants your heart, and he wants your heart to really be his, and it's reflected in these little things that we do. And God is saying, yeah, you're gaining interest in heaven, whatever that means. But I think it means something good by what he's saying. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says, give happily to those in need. And we should. We should be happy to help somebody that has a need. You know, we, we want to jump in there and, you know, help them out. Give happily to those in need and always be ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It is, on, it is the only safe investment for eternity. There's a lot of things that... that not a lot of things, but I've invested my money into some things that didn't work out. Have you ever done that? I put some money into an investment, and then it ended up, and you ended up losing more money than you gained. Well, that happens a lot. There is one safe investment. When you give to people in need on earth, God is saying, you know, you're storing up treasure in heaven doing that. So that's an investment that's a guarantee. Number three, my giving is a sacrifice to God. In Philippians 4.18, it says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. God was pleased by their sacrifice. Because giving can be a sacrifice. It can be scary to give. You know, like, do I have the money? But it's a fragrant offering. They would um, take this offering to the Lord, and as it burnt, the people could smell it, and it, and it it was a beautiful smell, and that's what they're saying is you're like a beautiful person. You're like a fragrant offering. Have you ever been to places where they have incense burning and it smells really good? You're like a fragrant offering um, to the people. You're like a beautiful person to them. Giving is always a part of worship. That's why in worship we sing, we pray, we teach, we take an offering because it's another way to offer yourself to God. And it's always been that way. Even in the Old Testament, they, they would take their, they would look at their sheep and they would take their very best one. This is the best one I can find. I want to give this one to God. They take it in. That's actually how the priest in the Old Testament and the Bible survived. 
It was because of the offerings that people gave. And when they would do these sacrifices to God, then they would eat the meat. And that's how they, uh, they lived. Otherwise, they, they couldn't do their job. So that's the premise. The premise is God wants to bless you, but be a generous person. Generosity needs to be a part of your character. Here's the promise. God will supply all my needs according to his riches. God wants to supply your needs. We see it again in Philippians 4, 19 there. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The source. What's the source of that? And my God. God is not a force. Okay, may the force be with you. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father that art in heaven, who art in heaven. He's your heavenly Father. It's an intimate relationship. Somebody that cares about you. He cares about your financial needs. If you're hurting financially, God cares. He cares about you. It's not like he doesn't care. If you're hurting financially, he cares about you. Uh, he, he wants to help you. If you're hurting mentally, if you're hurting physically, he cares. He cares. He's a loving father. But here's what he's saying. I care about you, but I want you to care about other people. I care about you, but I'm not going to bless you if you're selfish. I want you to care about other people. Be a caring person. That's what he says. Be a caring person. You, you say, well, you know, I'm in a mess right now. I don't know what I'm going to do. Start being a caring person. If you're already being a caring person and you're already being generous, God's going to get you through it. If you're not being caring and gener- generous, start. Start being the type of person that God wants to bless because God wants to take care of you. He loves you. He wants to meet your needs. He cares about you more than what you can imagine. Here's the scope. We'll meet all your needs, all your needs, everything, even the little things. God wants to meet that need, that little problem. He wants to meet it. He says, I want to take care of you. It's funny. It's very clear in the Bible. Salvation is free. Anybody who wants God, it's free. It's free. Okay? It's very clear. But then he says, but he basically says, but I want you to be a good person now. Salvation is free. But you want me to really bless your life? Be a good person. Do unto others as I would have, as you would have them do unto you. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Free. Salvation is free. You want it, it's yours. If you want God, it's yours. But if you want God to bless your life, you better, you, you're choosing to be loving toward other people. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to care for you. That's what he's asking for. But you can say, I believe in Jesus, but if you don't love people and you don't care about people, you have a problem with God. He will not bless you. He chooses to bless people that love people. When he uses this verse about meeting your needs, this doesn't take away the Bible verses that talk about if you're being lazy and not willing to work and don't want to get a job, that you pray and say, God, God's still going to bless me because I have faith in God. No. Do you know what the Bible says about that? In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, let him who does not work not eat. Okay, what he's saying is if you have the ability to work and you're just being lazy, God's not going to bless that. Don't think, well, I believe God's going to help me. He's not. He's not going to help you. Maybe you have a teenager and 
They need to get out and get a job. Or a young adult living in your house, and they need to get out and get a job. Maybe that's your situation. And uh, they won't. They don't try. This verse says, let him who, how, do, how does it word it? Let him who does not work not eat. You don't have to get a job. You're just not going to eat. They'll get a job. They'll get a job. Because people have to eat. You know, that's what it says. So what I'm trying to say is, God takes care of me. It's not an excuse for being lazy. Okay? You still have to get up and do your part. Do the things you're supposed to do. Do you know that there was a survey done in 1890 asking people, what are the basic needs that you have to have to live? And they came up with 16 things. The average person. It wasn't like scientists coming with this. It was the average person. What do you need? They said, we cannot survive without these 16 things. Obviously, uh, food and clothing and water and shelter, a horse. They could have probably survived without a horse, but they didn't think they could. You know, a gun. They had to have a gun, you know, a shotgun. Everybody needed a shotgun back then. That's probably how they got their food. You know, you go out and the, you know, there's a rabbit, boom, now we have dinner. But, uh, but uh, probably on that list, there were things that they didn't have to have. You don't have to have that. But they thought these are the 16 things we have to have to survive. They did it again, actually 100 years later in 1990. And there was 98 things on the list. <laughs> you can't survive. You know, oh, this wasn't on the list yet, but you can't survive without this. You know, there are places in the world where people don't have this. But it's funny. We can exaggerate our needs. Sometimes our needs are really greeds. Instead, and he doesn't say, I'm going to get, I shall supply all your greeds, everything that you're greedy for. I'll, I'll supply all your needs. <clears throat> James 4.3 says, you ask for something and when you don't get it, it's because you're asking with the wrong motive. You just want to consume it on your desires. You know, is my prayer life all about, God, I want a big house on the hill and I want a Mercedes and I want... Is that what my prayer life's like? Is that what praying's all about? You know, now, I want to say something to you. I believe God wants you to be the best you that you can be. And I think God wants you to improve your work conditions. I think if you have a chance to study a little bit on the side and then you get the promotion, and because of that, now your family gets more money and you can move from the apartment to home. Yeah. God's not against that. In fact, if you don't do that, I don't think you're using your mind and your abilities to the best that you can for God. Okay? So what I'm trying to say is, God wants you to excel. God wants you to do things to get better, you know? But don't think that that's what's going to make you happy. Don't think that, you know, uh, that's what life's all about. You want to have a hat. attitude of generosity, so the idea would be, let's say that God blesses everybody in this room more financially. Would the world be better because of it? Not you. Not you. But would the world be better because of it? And then, it could be. It could be possibly. The world could be better because of it based on what you do with it. See what I mean? Let's say that God blesses all with our finances, and then you say, wow, I can do something with this. 
and you use your finances to really make things better in the world. Like, you know, it depends on what you did with it, right? But it's a personal thing. Would the world be better if I had that money? Or would just me be better? Would I take the money and would I really use it to make the, the world a better place? Or would it just be about me and me and me? And there's nothing wrong with getting a better house and a nicer car. Don't think that those things are wrong. But if you don't have a generous heart, you could gain more and more and the world not be better because of it. If you have a generous heart, you could gain more and more and the world is impacted by your generosity. I love Carnegie, what he did with his finances. You know, Carnegie, uh, he, he took almost all of them that he had, Rockefeller did as well, and, you know, used it for other people. Carnegie Hall, that was paid for, that was his. Um, they took their money and started putting it into charities all over the world and this type of thing, all over the United States and stuff, and they, they really used their money to make the world better. I thought, like, wow. I think a lot of, I wonder if people know that they did that type of stuff with all their wealth. A lot of people don't know. Those are people that made wealth, and they made the world a better place. Some people have wealth, and the world's not any better because of it. So we want to, like, I want to use it for good. I want to make the world a better place. I do think that that could influence God's blessings, is that heart that you have to make it a better place. Here's the supply. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How much does he want to bless you? According to his glorious riches. If Bill Gates gave me a $1,000 check, that would be out of his riches. But if Bill Gates gave me a blank check and said, use it forever you want, that would be according to his riches. <laughs> and that's what it's saying. Is like God is saying, I want to give you like a blank check. But can he do that to people? Can he give us a blank check? He can't if we're not, if our heart's not right. If we're selfish people, he can't give us a blank check. We'd ruin ourselves. Can you imagine me giving my kids whatever they want? They'd be the worst kids in the world. If you gave your kid everything you wanted, they wanted, they'd be the worst. If God gave you everything you wanted, you'd be the worst person in the world. Have you ever wanted to be with somebody? Oh, she's the one. And then you get with them and find out, no, she's not. Has that ever happened to you in your life? That you met somebody and thought they were the right one, and then after you got to know them, you said, no, 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 they're not the right one. I'm going to go a different direction. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you everything you wanted? You'd be really messed up. God loves you too much to do that. But I do think if our hearts are right, God can bless us more. When our, I would totally trust giving money in the day to... to uh, to someone like Mother Teresa and what she was doing? Because I know that Mother Teresa's not a greedy person at all. She would not be willing to do the things that she did if she was a greedy person. She really loved those people in Calcutta and really wanted to help them. I would totally trust somebody like her. So the idea is, and it wouldn't be going to her anyway, it'd be going to the organization, but I trust because she's the one that's leading it. So I, I, I want to be used by God. I want anything I have to be used by God. Here's what uh, 2 Corinthians says in chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. 
Each one should give whatever he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under pressure. This is important. If you're giving reluctantly or under pressure to something, there might be a reason why. Maybe, maybe you don't know what it's all about yet, or maybe it's not where you should give, you know? Because, and no one should, for, if, no one should make you feel pressured to give. That is not what God wants. Here's what he says. So you don't give reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. How can I, how can I possibly be a cheerful giver? Because if I'm giving to something I believe in, I love sponsoring that child. I love it. I'm cheerful about it. I love getting his letters and reading them. I love writing them back. Why am I a cheerful giver? Because I, I'm, I believe in what they're doing. You know, so that's what you want to do. Be generous, but be generous to things you believe in. I, my family has a need. I'm talking about brother or sister. I, I, I love helping them because I have a great relationship with my family. I love them. I feel like they, they wouldn't... They wouldn't mention it unless they really needed it because I know what type of character they have. I have no question about helping them. Boom. Sometimes your own brother or sister is the person you trust the least. In some families, that can be the case. That's the last person I'm going to trust. Uh, it just depends on the situation you're in. But when you believe in it, you're a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants to bless you. He wants great things to come from you. So what is the Christmas spirit? I talked about it earlier, giving. Christmas is about God giving us Jesus. It's God coming to earth as man, a baby, a baby. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine people say, God's coming to earth, and you probably get afraid. God's coming to earth. But no one's going to be afraid of a baby. Isn't it interesting how he chose to come into the world? So he comes as a baby, grows up, uh, dies on the cross to pay off the penalty for our sins so that all the things we've done is forgiven because of what he did, not because we earned it. He paid off the penalty. What is Christmas all about? Giving. God gave. The wise men gave gifts. We give to one another. I want to encourage us to make sure that Christmas in our life is about giving, about really giving to, to, like I said, to something that would feel like that went to God, that went to God, some sort of present to God. So you feel like, I really had Christmas this year, the real, the real Christmas, and something that you can have joy about, okay? Make sure it's something that you can be happy about, like, well, that you feel good about it. If you don't feel good about giving to whatever you're going to do for Christmas, like, don't do it. Find something that you feel good about, something that you're excited to help. Here's what 2 Corinthians says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This is the churches where Philipp, uh, the church in Philippi was. Remember, they started, and then they started other churches around there. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Wow. Because I don't know if I've ever given beyond my ability like these guys did. And I give a lot. I always give 10% of my money to the church. And then I do extra stuff on the side. 
And I've still never given it beyond my ability. So that's impressive to me. But it gets even more like, whoa. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to Lord's people. So they're saying, Paul, please let us give to your ministry. That was kind of an amazing thing to, to read that part. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. Of course, they had to give themselves to the Lord first. And then by the will of God also to us. But since you excel in, give, in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now he's switched and he's talking to the Corinthians. He's saying the, these people in Philippi, they gave. It says in the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. They weren't even wealthy. They gave all this. And then he says to the church in Corinth, now, you've been a church that's excelled in everything. You've excelled in faith and speech and knowledge in earnestness. But he's saying, now start excelling and giving. Let me tell you why he's doing this. Philippi was the poor area. They were the inland. Corinth is on the port. That's where all the wealth was. Corinth was Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, El Segundo. Okay. And uh, Philippi was more like maybe some of the... Uh, poor desert communities that don't have a lot of water, don't have a lot of resources, and struggle. That's who he's talking to. And there's a distance between them as far as um, uh, miles and stuff. So he's saying to them, let me tell you a story. Do you know the church that's been so amazingly blessing us is the church in Philippi? And they're thinking, Philippi, that's a poor area. And he says to the church in Corinth, you guys have excelled in everything. You need to excel in giving too. Excel in giving too. And then he goes on to say this. I'm not commanding you. This is not a command. He's not going around, you guys need to start giving. He doesn't command because that's not the right attitude. Because it won't be a cheerful forgiver. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And it's like, I would never command people, you have to give a Christmas gift to God somehow. But it's like, it's like it's a test of my love. Like Christmas is about Jesus. What can I do to do something special for him? You know, some sort of gift that's going to be in that type of way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his po poverty might become rich. He's talking about spiritually. And here in my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So the year before, they were the first ones to give, and they were really happy. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your, your completion of it according to your means. Here's what happened with the Corinthian church. They're, they have all the wealth, and they said, Paul, we, we believe in what you're doing and, what, and what's happening about reaching the gospel, I mean, getting the gospel out to people, and we're going to support you guys, and we're in this all the way, and they gave that first gift. But they promised, like, we're going to help you all. And then they kind of forgot about him, out of sight, out of mind. And while the poor church were begging to give more, let us, and he's saying, he said, you guys don't have it. And he said, no, 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 we want to give. He said, but you, don't, you guys don't even have the money to give. We'll find a way. Let me give you the, um, my story. So we went to Kenya. And in Kenya, up on the mountains, that's where all the poor people live. 
because the infrastructure is bad. And if you had money, you can afford to live in the city. But if you go up the hills, the higher up you are, the poorer you are. And they build a little shack. And it's, 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 it's really um, rough up there. But obviously, when we do our mission trips, that's the type of places that we're going. It's where the poor people are, not to the wealth below. So that's where we spend our time. And every day they would feed us. And they fed us rice and potatoes with, I don't know what it was, but it was like this pink type of water that they put in it. I don't know, what I, I don't know if I want to know what it was, but I would call it uh, tomato water, thinking the best. Hopefully it's tomatoes. <laughs> I never saw a tomato when I was there, though. So anyhow, they would feed us, because that's all they had was rice and potatoes. So I would, we would all eat it, and we'd be happy and everything. But it wasn't really that rough because every night we went, we didn't sleep up there. And um, the conditions were really bad up there. There's no hotels or anything like that. Every night we would take a taxi like uh, through these horrible roads and we'd get down to a hotel and we would sleep in the hotel and the hotel had food and we'd eat there. So we could get other food. The food wasn't great in the hotel, but it was way better than rice, potatoes, and tomato water or whatever that was. But that was our... Every day at lunch, we're there, and we eat with them. Well, here's what got me. On Sunday, they brought out the chicken. And they cooked up chicken and everything. They gave us chicken. And I was really happy. I think, like, wow, this is really special. We have chicken with our uh, rice, potatoes, and whatever that mystery water is that's in there. And um, so I was eating the chicken with it, and I thought, oh, it's nice that they have chicken there. And it took me a while before I realized, as I was looking around, we were the only ones eating chicken. They couldn't afford to feed us chicken and them chicken. We were eating meat every night. Every night we went back to the room, to the hotel. We had something that we could eat. We, we had meat every day. They didn't. The one, and the chicken that they gave, that was... And everything in me wanted to, like, stop them and say, it was too late, we're already eating. And everything in me wanted to stop them and say, no, no, no. You don't give us this chicken. This is yours. And it broke my heart. But I understand, Paul, what he's saying. They had nothing, and they gave everything they could. They were so happy that we were there. You know, we brought in some dentists, and, you know, we did all kinds. They were so pleased. To them, they gladly gave chicken. But they gave us everything they had. You know, that means that they would probably go two weeks without meat. They usually eat meat once a week because that's the most that they, and I never saw vegetables. I saw a sweet potato now and then, but never vegetables. It was just pretty much rice and potatoes. So there are some farms, some, they have some farming areas that are owned by rich people down the hill, and all the poor people that only eat rice and potatoes farm all this good food, and it ships back down there to be sold to the rich people, and they just give them enough money to afford rice and potatoes at the store set up at the same. So the owner of the farm owns the store. He pays the money. They give it all right back to buy rice and potatoes. And then he gives all the money back. I mean, that's how the system worked, you know. And these people had nothing, and they gave us their chicken. And we have so much. I want to make sure when I stand before God that I'm a generous person. They were very generous. I want to be a generous person. I don't want to be somebody that's not being that way. 
It says, last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be people that we are generous. We continue to show love to someone. When you see somebody in need, and it's not a foolish thing to give them that money, help people out. I want us to be characterized. If somebody meets somebody from the Church of the Beach Cities, I want them to feel the same way about us that I felt about that church in Kenya. That church in Kenya, it was like, it made me want to cry. To me, that was the most generous thing I've ever received. That's what I want people to feel about us. If people feel that way about us, I feel like, wow, we've got it. That's Jesus to the world. So let's not just be generous during Christmas. Let's just have it be a part of our character. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to be generous. Lord, I want my pocketbook to reflect my values. I want my time to reflect my values. So, Lord, I'm making a commitment to being uh, generous. I'm going to find a way to celebrate Christmas by giving to something that would show that. And, God, I'm going to be a generous person in life anyway, all the time. Lord, I recognize that that's who we are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.